Welcome to Opinionated Science, brought to you by Technology Networks. I'm Rory McKenzie, the Neuroscience Editor at Technology Networks, and today I am joined by TN's newly appointed Custom Content Manager, Tiff Quinn. Woo! Hello! <laughs> and Ash Board, who as far as I know still has the same title he did before, which is Head of Editorial. Hey Ash! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks, thanks for dismissing me there so, uh, so, so beautifully. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> uh, so we're a team of former scientists turned journalists who have tried to go from pipetting good to writing good and <laughs> also potentially talk good for 20 minutes or so in this podcast. On this episode, that shouldn't be hard because we are discussing one of the fastest growing and most exciting areas of science, psychedelic drugs. So as you might be able to tell, we're in different locations of this podcast, as I'm in Glasgow. So let me just check. Ash, Tiff, you've already taken your tabs of acid, right? I've, I've had mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. That's, uh... <laughs> Rude guy. I'm excited. <laughs> Rude in the sky with diamonds. <laughs> Ready? Right. Which of these five laptops in my vision do I talk to? Okay, here we go. Um, so I was wondering why your lighting was so dark, actually, Rory. Now it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just turn on the let me just turn on the EDM one second. <laughs> so um, to start off, what is a psychedelic drug? Uh, that's what mm -hmm. I might be wondering. So there's quite a few definitions of this, and as a sort of introduction to why we want to discuss psychedelic drugs, I've recently been interviewing a host of psychedelic researchers from. Uh, different institutes uh, that have opened recently. So there's been two big openings in, in psychedelic research recently. One that was in uh, Imperial College in London, and one was at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. So between these two centers, we have some of the biggest investment in psychedelic research that's happened for decades, which is really exciting. And the discussions I've had with these different researchers have thrown up so many interesting studies that we just couldn't resist sharing them with you. So I think where we want to start is defining psychedelic drugs and while the definite definitions vary quite a bit depending on who I was talking to in general we can say that a psychedelic drug is a compound that gives you a feeling of having your perception altered and mind opened but beyond that and beyond the fact that it seems that most psychedelic compounds all activate this serotonin 2a receptor now this is a receptor for a neurotransmitter which is a chemical in your brain that is often considered a happiness or well-being kind of chemical. So it flows around your brain, making you feel good. And it's, the suggestion is that the, the mechanism that joins all these drugs together is that they uh, activate this, this receptor in the same way that uh, the neurotransmitter normally would. So it might be somehow stepping in for your brain's normal happiness chemical. But beyond that, the definition kind of breaks down because there's some variation, for example, LSD or acid. Um, is additionally a stimulant of your dopamine receptors, which is kind of like the pleasure receptors in your brain. And then there's other drugs on the, the sort of sides, which some researchers clearly consider psychedelic drugs like XA or MDMA, um, but other researchers aren't so sure on. So um, mm. I think you guys want to start with, with these drugs. I mean, they're all pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> some of mine so, already. Yeah, just question for you, Rory. It's like, so you've spoken to some of these researchers, which which drugs made you the most excited? Well, um, I'd say that I, t I talked to a few different experts. So in London, I spoke to David Nutt, um, mm -hmm. and then in, I spoke to 
um, Fred Barrett and Godolen, who are both at Johns Hopkins. And Fred and, um, and research in London, David, uh, spoke for like a long time about psilocybin, um, which is the active component of magic mushrooms. And uh, that does seem to have a lot of potential therapeutic aspects. Um, so with psilocybin, uh, there's a number of different phase three and phase two, like late stage clinical trials ongoing for different indications like depression, um, alcohol use disorder. But at the same time, the one that has actually gone into, gone into use in a more mainstream way this year is ketamine, which is one of these ones I mentioned earlier that isn't quite classically considered a psychedelic drug, but is nonetheless yeah. waves. How did that come into being again? Because I feel like I'm a bit rusty on how we started discovering the connection between ketamine and, and its antidepressant effects. So yeah, it's a it's it's a good question. I think what we what we know is that um, I certainly know the way that ketamine's taken, and it, the, the one that's been approved by the FDA now is a kind of break, breakthrough therapy um, is as a nasal spray. Um, so. Essentially, people will go into the clinic, uh, get given the nasal nasal spray by a doctor, and this is pretty essential. People aren't just allowed to take this home and go go mm -hmm. with it. Um, they have to take it with a doctor. But um, it seems that it has this low dose mechanism of action uh, that will last for a shorter period of time. And there's a there's a few different ways that that scientists think this works. Um, but there's no there's no general conclusion that one of them is is more likely to be the outcome than others so it's, it's kind of still ongoing really as to why ketamine has this antidepressant effect mm, interesting it's um so the psilocybin stuff you mentioned and like you, you mentioned that's obviously interesting because there's a number of therapies uh, what what were they really citing what sort of things have they been working on with psilocybin so as i said earlier like depression um is obviously a big one and one that David said is that he reckons that essentially the outcome of psychedelic research will be that we might have effective therapies for certain types of neurologic disorders and mood disorders. But the ones he reckons that we'll find effective uses for are ones that involve kind of stereotyped and repetitive behaviors. So what does that mean? What's a repetitive behavior? It's where um, the person with the disorder will engage in the same kind of thing again and again. So the class mm -hmm. is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. But mm -hmm. mentioned that things like alcohol use disorder, where someone will again and again go back to alcohol beyond to the expense of, of other things in their lives, and depression, where people get essentially fixated on low energy activities and, and become unable to engage in other activities beyond excessive rumination on things that, that make them very sad. Um, these kind of disorders, he reckoned, will have the most response to things like psilocybin and, and other psychedelic drugs, whereas other things he mentioned, schizophrenia, for example, he thinks is less likely that psychedelic mm. um, will have. Will have uh. And I think the most interesting thing about psilocybin is that there's all these different theories. That there's, um, in my talk with Fred, he came up with like five different theories as to why psilocybin might be working. And one of them was um, about the fault mode network and you were reading about that Tiff weren't you? Yeah yeah I found that quite interesting because I've heard of it before but I've never really thought about it in the context of 
what is its actual function like what do we know about it and like from the very limited <laughs> research that I did actually manage to get done I think the main thing for me was yeah that came out of it is that you know there's a general consensus that this is kind of well it's a collection isn't it connect correct me if I'm wrong of different brain regions but they together they make up this thing that we call the default mode network which they think is like the seat of our sense of self and our ego um so I guess I in terms of psychedelics and how that plays, I think, especially, um, what's his, I'm going to forget what his name is, is it Robert Carhart Harris? In yeah, Imperial? yeah, I think it's Robin, sorry, I think it's Robin. Robin he, right. he believes that psychedelics sort of decrease the activity yep. of this area. Um, and that kind of correlates with people that are like avid medita meditators mm -hmm. versus like people that don't really meditate and they have that ability to kind of stop and like have long periods of undisturbed time to like reflect on your inner self like yeah, yeah, they've, they've noticed like the same similar sort of um i guess effects on the brain when they when they look at brain imaging and they do these kind of experiments but that's as far as like i as far as my knowledge kind of goes but it is interesting because that interview that you did do with fred he wasn't a hundred percent on that theory was he? he he was very much like yes yeah, a very interesting aspect of research but he wasn't Sold. So yeah, I think, I think he considered that was one of the more out there theories yeah. around, around uh, psilocybin. Um, one of the other ones he mentioned that was that was also really interesting was uh, the idea of the thalamus as this like valve mm. brain, right? So the thalamus, like the gateway kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So the thalamus is like this realization in our brain that kind of a lot of different connections go through this area. For lots of different sensory things, cognition-based activities, the thalamus is like the switchboard. And um, as you mentioned in the in the interview, he seemed a bit reluctant to mention this. I can kind of see why, because it's bringing up uh, bringing up something quite retro. Is um, Aldous Huxley, the famous uh, novelist, uh, who's also a big uh, fan of psychedelic drugs. And one thing he talked about was this kind of uh, switch within the brain, or like a, a reducing valve. He suggested that the brain was sort of inhibiting our perception of reality mm -hmm. that psychedelic drugs could somehow turn off. And whilst this might not be exactly the case, uh, Fred suggested that psilocybin may in some way uh, open up that valve that, that might be represented by the thalamus and, and stop the thalamus essentially limiting the amount of sensory information that can reach our cortex. Mm -hmm. So when you take psilocybin, perhaps the, the thalamus's ability to dampen down the experiences we have uh, is, is limited. And that's why we have these heightened experiences on these drugs and, and people report such uh, expansionary things, right? They talk about uh, everything being heightened and, and uh, yeah. or vivid. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting interpretation. That was, that was one of the first ones he mentioned uh, in, his, in his list of, list of possibilities. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you lose me with the brain stuff. I'm not going to lie, you're two neuroscientists sometimes. But uh, my big question is, is so you've got your two centres open this year. What did they give any, any indication as to why, like why does this sudden kind of like investment and interest? Well, I think it's twofold. I think one, this um, discovery with ketamine uh, that it, it's been given this classification as a as a breakthrough therapy by the FDA, which is to say that they're really doubling down on it, suggests mm -hmm. 
the the science base, even though it's been small, has been churning out some really interesting findings. And I think generally the, the fact that we've tried for so long with other compounds with so little effect, like we don't have really anything that reliably works for depression. And ketamine in particular has been uh, been indicated as a treatment for treatment resistant depression. So you can't just rock mm -hmm. up and say, I think I've got depression, hit me up with some of that ketamine. They'll instead trial your more traditional drugs, um, like S, yep. for example, uh, which also work on your serotonergic system, affecting the, the serotonin, that happiness chemical in your brain. But if you don't respond to, to multiple different treatments, that's when they'll consider the use of, of ketamine, but only in, in okay. cases. Uh, and I think the fact that there's been these big breakthroughs, along with the lack of fruitfulness in, in other avenues, has made people turn to, to psychedelic research and say, right, well, maybe we should give you some funding and see what you can do. In particular, okay. the Imperial Center entirely funded. How interesting is that? It's entirely what, sorry? Privately funded. Like, really? Yeah, oh, I did yeah. not know that. We're talking like twenty million, twenty million quid. Um, what's that in in dollars for American listeners? Not much more than twenty million, million isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of money has gone into wow. these centers. Um, That's one other. I think thing. what's really, I think what's really interesting yeah. for me as well, Rory, is um, I just like the idea that um, like. Essentially, there's been this band of kind of scientists who've been working away furiously in the background just in the psychedelic research to now like get that funding. It must be so exciting for them, I mean, especially yeah. the, the the stuff at Imperial where they're putting people in the in the MRIs, aren't they? And yeah. like obviously giving them psychedelics and then really being able to actually look at what's happening. Um, yeah, I, th I thought that was quite interesting. Like the fact that you you know it's very much a, you know that's the whole point. It's a very controlled environment and you're guided through the whole process and i think it's quite interesting how there's a lot of uh music as well they're using a lot of music aren't they to kind of create these environments that are conducive to you having experiences and if you know you have a tendency to that you're seeming towards a bad trip i guess as it were these people kind of help you dial it back and try and bring you back to like a safe place i guess and then you have like a session afterwards to kind of discuss and interpret what you think your experience meant and I think that whole thing is just so fascinating like it's just crazy isn't it but it's definitely yeah. in the right direction um, yeah they even I don't know whether you were gonna yeah I don't know whether you were gonna mention it uh, later or not but I actually really was dumbfounded by remember when David Nutt was talking to you and he was explaining how um, he really struggled uh, he had that anecdote, anecdote about how pretty much the US are putting a lot of like government obviously are putting a lot of pressure on scientists to stay with the status quo um you know and uh, it was david Nutt that wanted to write a paper okay. about um basically how you know drugs are regulated and how that impeaches on their ability to do research oh, okay. yeah. um and when he went so correct me if i get any of this wrong Marie, but when he basically wanted to get that published he was told that he had to have an american author so mm -hmm. he was like oh i'm gonna go i have a friend that works in this area he approached them and they said oh that i can't i can't write on this with you otherwise I'll, I'll never get nih funding again and even though he didn't specifically do a lot of research within that area it didn't matter it was like if i go on this with you and i'm on record i'm kind of going against them and i can't then get funding for anything that I do. So I think in the end, David managed to go kind of roundabout and found someone yeah. else. But again, it just shows you, 
I guess it answers that question of why it's been so difficult for people to to do this research because there's a lot of pressure to not to stick with that quote like that status quo I guess that whole thing that these drugs are dangerous and harmful and addictive and that's one of the myths that I think David's very much it's crazy because I think for me as well like um sorry Rory jump in there quickly but um just I just admire these people like because yeah. like, I mean science is funding isn't it I mean if yeah. you've not got funding it's like I mean you're pretty much done aren't yeah. you yeah so yeah. to be able to, to fight the good fight yeah. and, and fight so hard in the background and then see it to come to fruition must be so satisfying. Yeah. And what it must, there must be so many little incremental things that they have seen and, and, and observed that with the thought is if only we had sort of some kind of funding, if only had backing, yeah. we could do yes, X we could do so and we could much. see this. Yeah. So now, like the kind of centres that are opening up, the kind of funding, albeit private in the UK, the funding that's coming up is you would you would think is going to take the field on leaps and bounds, yeah. isn't it, over the next certainly the next few years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd guess. And the other thing that is going to really take the the brakes off, as it were, is that aside more funding, if the of, of the different countries where these centres are start deregulating these drugs it's going to have a huge effect as well so um as google was telling me in the states for example um mdma and outside called schedule one drugs and now mm -hmm. what this means essentially it's real hard to get a hold of them and it's really hard to research with them so the example that google gave me was that um in her research it took them roughly eight months to get approval to use MDMA in their research. Most of a master's thesis that's a third PhD. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe a it's bit crazy. States, but it's still a long time. And um, she said that the only reason they were able to use MDMA in some of their studies was that they had already had licenses in previous ones. And um, mm -hmm. some of their most interesting findings, and this is a lab that gave ecstasy to octopuses, have only been <laughs> because they had that funding from more sort of grounded research but still with mdma so um, I, I gotta say Ru, just just very quickly you, you can't run through that sentence and go da, 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 da. they were the lab that gave ecstasy to ox octopuses yeah. and then just carry on i think i think that just warrants a, li a, a little bit more examination yeah possibly <laughs> yeah they didn't just like weren't just headed down the aquarium one afternoon and thought <laughs> so yeah this is this is um a piece i'd read about way before i interviewed these people i was i was really keen to, to ask school why exactly they picked octopus um they they as i said had this license for uh, studying mdma for ptsd in fact but i don't know whether they had the octopuses kicking around or not or their model organism of choice because mm -hmm. octopuses are really far removed from us uh, evolutionary terms right there I mean look at one they're really weird I watched a video where one <laughs> recently and they've got no bones in their body apart from their beaks so they can squeeze these yeah. tiny little holes and it's really kind of freaky to watch um, but, but uh, essentially they're they, they're about as far removed from, from humans as you can get while still maintaining mm -hmm. intelligence these things are are really smart she was saying and when she was researching mm -hmm. with them you could really detect a kind of intelligence in the room when you were mm. working with the octopus. 
octopi, octopuses. I remember getting into trouble with this before. Oh. I think I so, think yeah. always is thought okay. it was octopi. Octopus is, is correct. Is so, it? Yes, it is, yeah. It is. Wow. Yeah, because we put we oh, again, we'll take this as a quick aside because I think we've got to say it. Like we we, we published something saying octopuses and and the derision that came back, really? yeah. And I think I may get this the wrong way around. I think it's because it's a Greek, a Greek if, um, derived word. Okay. It means it's octopuses, not Latin, not to pie. Oh, so Might be the wrong way around. But then, what so was good. very good is for every single person who patronised us, we could go back and patronise them back. <laughs> so, uh, and I think Amazing. for anyone that works in any form of media to be able to patronise people yeah, is, I mean, mean that's all that you've got to come to work for. So. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, quickly before we move away from. The octopuses. Um, <laughs> We've got that wrong. We're done. I know we are seriously done. Uh, but yeah, I think what the most interesting thing about that study was is that they're not by nature social animals, are they, Rui? So the fact that the ecstasy made them, or yeah, they basically. What was it? I can't remember exactly what the test for social behaviour was, but they concluded so, that they became more sociable. I don't know whether that was moving into open space, or you'll probably be able to. They gave them that. this kind of three-chambered area, right? And um, I guess one of the chambers was like the, the party area, right? So <laughs> implies they could swim or whap their tentacles or whatever they do and enter the party area. And <laughs> when they took MDMA, these octopuses, despite being like 500 million years separated from us, responded in the same way that we do by becoming more sociable and spending more time around other octopuses. Uh, so that was the the finding, right? That these these receptors are absolutely ancient. They've been around for it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. You say grumpy octopuses, even them are are uh, made more social by by uh, MDMA. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's, it's remarkable. And I, I think I, again, that's a bit crazy, but uh, I studies like that are just are so interesting. It's so interesting. I say that you can you can infer that you can go back five hundred million years separated. You can go back, and there are those commonalities. It's remarkable. Another quick aside, actually, that I've just thought of is, you know, have you seen? I mean, it's not definitely not a new thing, but it cropped up again recently of seeing those dolphins that use the puffer fish to get high with each other and play. And again, I'm just like. What is going on there? Like, what would that experience be like? We're yeah. Like, it's just insane. Off their flippers for the weekend. <laughs> can we, it's fascinating. Can we attach a video to this? I want to see that. Oh, have you not seen it, Ruby? Oh. No, I need to get that on. Uh, remi yeah, remind me to, uh, I'm going to make a note to send that because it's just something right, I'll send that. We've got to put a link in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll link. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, back, back to all this stuff. Um, I mean, is there anything else, Rory? I mean, you, 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 without sort of getting too sort of detailed with, with, with like individual conversations, what did you, is, did you see any sort of commonalities with, with what these people were saying? I mean, are they, are they seeing the same kind of things? Are they working on similar things? What's, what's, what's going on there? I think while there's still this obvious debate within the area about what exactly constitutes a, a psychedelic, um, I think that there's a lot of excitement, right? I think mm -hmm. the fact that they've now been given the, the funding that they, they need as, and the structure that they need to really take forward, I think, is, I think is really exciting. I think a bit like I was saying earlier about the fact that we need to consider that it might not work for something like schizophrenia, but it will work potentially for something with uh, more 
obsessional um, to it. Um, I think we'll need to, the, the researchers are saying we'll need to temper expectations. Um, and there's no idea, mm -hmm. there's not going to be like a cure-all. And um, certainly I think it's, it's good to consider that something like ketamine, even though you know, there's all this idea of sticking a thing up your nose and, and you feel better. It, it is a short term, a short term solution. And, you know, people are going to, it's not going to work for everyone. Um, but the one thing that, that David in particular really wanted to get across, you know, I think the time is kind of up for, for people vilifying these drugs. And Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I've I got to say, that feels like a, a pretty, pretty good point to, uh, to end on, to be honest. That's, uh, is it, unless, obviously, is there anything else you want to add? I don't think so. Do you have anything you want No, to cover? I'm just, just here with these awesome shapes. This is it, right? We can see you looking, it's, it's like getting more spaced out with us. It's about time to, uh, to call us to an end. Yeah, I'll go lie next to the dishwasher for half an hour. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's, no uh, <laughs> I think I think that's it for another episode of Being Native Science. But thank you, uh, Tiff, and thank you to Ash, and thank you to our listeners. We'll be back very soon with another episode.